Welcome back to Truth of Our Youth, the ultimate Zenial podcast. Today we are talking the most iconic game system in history, the Nintendo Entertainment System. We're going to talk about tuning to Channel 3 and the dreaded UHF setting. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Truth of Our Youth, the Ultimate Zenial Podcast. Thank you, Marty, for that very sultry intro. How are you? I am fine, Stephen. Yourself? I am fine. We're doing it a little differently today, guys. We are actually doing this in person with each other, not on Zoom, not relying on the internet. We're actually recording direct. We're getting fancy. We have a little, I don't know if you can hear that, we got a little whiskey going and we're gonna we're gonna wax na- nostalgic about uh about the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Yeah, we will throw out a disclaimer as two dogs and a young child uh, may hit your ears at some point, but we'll try to avoid that. So, uh, talking Nintendo today, and I think we can all agree Nintendo was a big part of uh of my youth. Yeah, it certainly was. I first got Nintendo. I believe it was 1990, so I was maybe like five and a half or six. Uh, when I when I got it, obviously it had already been out. I think eighty five is when it dropped September 85. September of eighty five. Yep. Um, it had come out beforehand in Japan, known as the Family Computer or Famicom. Mm-hmm. Terribly ugly. Um, people weren't very you know excited about it. Um, a little backstory too: there was the great video game crash um, right before they tried to get Nintendo popular in the United States. Uh, I think the main problem was is there wasn't, no, I not I think, I know this because I read it, uh, there was really no licensing. It was kind of like the Wild West. Everybody yeah. could make games. Every manufacturer could just throw their hat in a ring, and there was really no quality control. So you have all these games, and some are cool, some are not, and the market was oversaturated, and people lost interest, and they didn't want to waste their precious dollars on something that was probably not cool. Yeah, um, and that continued a little bit into the Nintendo era because you had the games like the the Tengen cartridges, like RBI Baseball. I think they were mostly sports, but they were the black ones that were um, angled uh, mm-hmm. at the front. So you got a, a little bit of that with Nintendo um, until they kind of got rid of that. But I remember also getting my first Nintendo, and it was, I'd say, probably 88. I was probably about six. Mm-hmm. And it was actually my sister's request. My sister's uh, six years older than I am. Right. So she's 12, I'm six, she wants a Nintendo, so I remember being in Toys R Us, my favorite place as a child, um, my dad got the, you know, the little coupon, we took it up to the front, we got our Nintendo, it came with Super Mario Brothers and a zapper, I did not get the Mario Brothers Duck Hunt double cartridge. Gotcha, that's what, that's what I had originally, I had the double cartridge, I had the zapper, um, fun fact, which I didn't really know, the Zapper was originally, when it was in Japan, it was modeled after a a revolver, a six-shot re- revolver, but right. they were hesitant even then to uh, to bring that to the States and call it, you know, a family gaming system. Well, they eventually did, and that was um, also the reason, eventually, that they changed the Zapper's color. Right. Um, that, if you remember some of your friends, I had the gray and black one, but a lot of people had that orange one. Right. Um at the time, I just knew that they had a cooler color than mine. But now, if you look back, they did that because they felt it looked too much like a gun, this uh, black and gray light gun. But the revolver concept does eventually come to fruition because they do uh, lethal enforcers use the um, use revolvers, but they had to be uh, 
blue and red, I think. Right. But I digress. So we're bringing the Nintendo home, and first thing I start playing, and the odd thing is, before Nintendo, I, I played games. Um, we had an Atari, and my father had a Commodore 64 computer. So that was the gaming that I was kind of used to. So Nintendo blew my mind. Uh, the, the controller felt right. It, everything about that system felt good until you knew something better. You know, the, I don't know why they would design a controller in the shape of a rectangle that's going to dig into your hands, but eventually they figured that out. Yeah, sure. So I think the, uh, the form factor is, it was one of the most appealing things about the Nintendo originally. Um, the, the family computer, the, the, like we said before, it was the, the Famicom, um, it wasn't anything very, very nice to look at or very exciting to look at. And there was a lot of weird angles. So, yeah, the, the rectangular style and the, the hinge door and how the cartridge is received, it's very reminiscent of a VCR. So I think the idea was is let's put it in a familiar form factor that can just literally go right on top of people's TVs. Yeah, and there was actually some talk about the design before they finally rolled it out. And they had uh, two companies, an American company and a, and a Japanese company, that are trying to find the right mixture for this for the American audience. What, the what right kind of stuff? Yeah, what kind of appliance? What, how do they want this thing to look? Right. And they got the form from Japan, and it was very, very boxy. And then the American version was was much more sleek. It was kind of like that um, PS4 Now design. Right. Uh, but they decided to kind of combine them both and give you that sleek look with the box outlet mm -hmm. because it did still look similar to some of your other, you know, uh, media genres you had going on, like the VCR. Right, yep. So, and I think the, I think Nintendo, they said one of their biggest regrets was, is they never patented the design of the controller. Um, it was perfect. It, the, the, the side scrolling, you know, adventure, you know, the, that, you know, Nintendo, really all the platforms that even kind of came out after that, um, it was, it was perfect for, it was intuitive. It was easy. Like Marty just said, it, you know, it, depending on how intense you were, it would, would ding into you a little bit, but that makes it all more realistic and fun. Yeah, the only thing I had an issue with on the Nintendo controller, and they've done this with all their controllers, it's B-A instead of A-B. Right. And that drives me insane. I don't know why, it just does. Yeah. Well, I mean, do... I don't know. Forgive my ignorance. Did did they read books backwards, possibly, in Japan? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I think that's um, an Arabic thing where you go um, right to left. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Not Not 100% on that, but there is someone that does this. Gotcha. I mean, it was... The, and it's also, too, the longest-running console of all time. I mean, it was... Ten years, it was it was in production. Yeah, I mean it it and it kind of cornered the marketplace. Now you had uh, stuff people still had Ataris and the sixteen hundred, twenty six hundred, uh, and the Sega Master System was also an eight bit system, which honestly had better graphics than the Nintendo, but it never really took off. Um, so their main competition, oddly enough, growing up, I was the only one that had a Nintendo, and my other two buddies on the street had a Sega. I mean that's that's unheard of. Yeah. Um, but they also had a similar design for the controller. Um, slight differences. It was a little little bit more rounded, um, a little cushier to the touch, I guess. It, it's just, it was a little different. Um, but yeah, Nintendo just, did. they took off, and you, there was no stopping them at that point. Yeah, and you know, only an 8-bit computer in this thing, but worlds above what Atari or any anybody else was doing at, at, at the time 
um, you know, the colors that you were getting and kind of the the movement. I mean, it was it was the jam. Yeah, and the best you had prior to that was like your Commodore sixty fours right. and your um, Atari uh, color Atari, which is still you know lipstick on a pig. Right. Um, so no, they the the games were were new. They were unique. The the pilot, you know, Super Mario Brothers. I think is one of the first video games that a lot of people ever touched. Right. And it doesn't seem that complicated at first, but when, once you hit that first hidden block and you kind of go, okay, well there's, there's a little more going on here than, uh, than I thought there was going to be. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned before about how Nintendo did allow, um, other, uh, other companies to start manufacturing Nintendo games, but they're with one caveat is they had to do it in a color other than yep. the Nintendo gray. Yep. So you could be like, okay, well, this is Nintendo. We feel very solid about our stuff. We're going to let you do this. Make sure your thing's a different color in case it sucks. Yeah, and the only other one I can think mm-hmm. of that was a different color, obviously the the Zelda gold cartridge. Right. Not, not talking about that one. But a third-party game, believe it or not, there's these games, I think they're called Bible Stories. Oh, my. And they are baby blue, and they are... Ooh, vaguely familiar. They are absolutely terrible yep absolutely terrible somehow you wind up playing um ping pong not the ping pong game pong um, pong yeah yep. you start playing pong on a on a bible game mm-hmm. and that somehow is going to save your soul no there's a life lesson in there yeah something so all right well that's a little background on the actual system um let's get into the games and marty if you want to start with you know the arguably the most important video game in the history of ever well i mean that would be super mario followed closely by the legend of zelda that's true that's true yeah yep uh, but yeah, super mario brothers i mean just completely uh, broke the mold i mean i don't think anybody considered who this guy was where he came from but he was doing cool stuff eating shrooms Playing with animals. <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. Uh, but no, Zelda is another one that, of course, it's an icon at this point, and it's had a huge influence on pop culture and my branding, you know, growing up, literally branding. I have a, a Zelda tattoo on my wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, the game, it, it was an awesome puzzle growing up. Now, when I first got it, you know, I'm very young, and I'm just walking around and stumbling on stuff, but had no real grasp of what the hell I was doing in this game sure until a little later in life and it is you know it's puzzles it's kind of complicated you got to burn bushes to find entryways and walk up based on vague directions and and clues um but I played it over and over and over again yeah well it's funny I mean and I think that they knew it was kind of going to be not confusing but a little bit of a learning curve um, and the eight-bit computer in this thing, there's only so many different shapes and things you can do. The Goombas and the Mushrooms look very similar. So I think the the first few levels of Super Mario Brothers, the original one, is they're teaching you how to play the game. You hit the block, the Mushroom comes out, and you almost can't avoid it. It hits the first pipe, and then it hits you, and you're like, oh, these things are good. So that's so that's helpful. Yeah, and one of the other odd <clears throat> things about Mario games is um, I they always kept a score which I think they might have used in some of like the NES arcade championship things, but I think it was usually based on coins. Yeah. But in either case, that was one of the things in the prior game generation, especially arcade games, was a top score, whether it was Asteroids, uh, Centipede, Pac-Man. You were right. always just trying to beat the high score. So they have this in Mario, but it also has a, you know, a beginning and an end. 
Uh, it's not eternal, like, the, you know, Pac-Man just keeps getting faster. Uh, Duck Hunt just keeps getting faster, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, they kind of broke the mold, but still kept that score to entice some of those those other people trying to, you know, grab them from what right. they understood. Now, I wonder if that was, you know, something that they did for the American market. Like, you know, they know how, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they they've uh, view, um, you know, people, you know, from the United States as, you know, uh, egotistical, score-driven, blah, blah. Is that just something else to rope people in and appeal to people as you have a higher score than your friends because you ate more mushrooms than them? <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. That's a different kind of higher score. Yeah, no, that's true. You do get some newer stuff um, as far as your progression, because in Zelda, you're basically uh, leveling up through hearts. You have additional life, and that helps you to survive as you start facing more difficult enemies. And you're also upgrading weapons and shields right. and, and boomerangs and all that fun stuff. Right. So um, they really take it, okay, we're, we're doing away with the score. And the score still is appropriate for certain games, I guess, uh, what are what's something that the score was important like dance dance revolution right um if you remember watching people play that in the arcades right now back to mario have you heard the 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 lore of being able to jump over the flagpole absolutely i never saw it i never did it it's it's possible it's possible how how is it possible you jump over it more shrooms um (laughs) no you jump over it but what magically happens is nothing well, you get to stupid. the other side of the flagpole, and then you just have to jump at it from the other side. All right. Well, that was a terrible... Uh, no, very anticlimactic. Yeah, sorry. That was terrible. But Super Mario and, and Legend of Zelda, uh, it's some of the most important video game music of all time, too. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing that Nintendo really <clears throat> broke the mold with, was the music. Yeah. Uh, Atari, if you remember, they eventually got music behind stuff, but most of it was silence, and then mm-hmm. something made a bleep noise. Right. Um, when you did it. Right. Um, and that was one of the things they wanted to do. They wanted to put a killer sound card into the NES, which was, uh, I, I think, probably the, you have the visuals, but then obviously the, the audio that goes with it. I mean, that's it would have been nothing without the music and, and the sound effects that we all that we all know. Yeah, and it's not just Mario. It's not just Zelda, um, Mega Man, Contra. Um, a lot of those games have... Pew, pew. <laughs> they no, they all have very um, particular music in Castlevania. Yep. Yep. You know, they even get that that kind of creepy music going on in Castlevania. Right. Uh, that you know they're they're trying to immerse you in the story, mm-hmm. which was well ahead of its time. Um, if you look at the more recent systems, I mean, those are very very immersive experiences, especially in the the first person view. Right. But they were trying to give you that same feeling. Um, through, you know, it's limited visually, but at the time it was pretty impressive. And as they got towards the end of uh, its life cycle, they were putting out, they were really pushing that thing to the limit right. uh, and getting some really good uh, graphics out of it. Right. Speaking of interacting and immersive, um, yeah, I know I remember, you know, playing Tony Hawk and creating my own my own skate courses and this, that, and the other thing. But on Excitebike, being able to make my own track and and the the different jumps and the little obstacles that was pretty cool. Yeah, and for me, Excite Bike was a pain in the ass. Yeah, I was, was never good at that game. And it takes you forever to get back on your bike. And that it's one, like, hurry up. Ghosts and Goblins uh, was was tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of because they made so many different games, and there was the stuff that's licensed by Nintendo. You know, it's a creation of Nintendo. Uh, is usually okay. Um, but the stuff from Jalico, 
uh, companies like that, Tengen, um, they didn't really have the same quality control right. um, that the Nintendo products did. It was good enough that Nintendo allowed them to play, but they didn't want to flirt with disaster and do what happened with the video game crash and too many people doing too many stupid things and you know and we can't be having that speaking of people doing stupid things uh we've been talking for a while we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back in a minute hi everyone hope you're enjoying the podcast so far thank you for listening to truth of our youth the ultimate zenial podcast we hope that you're enjoying the show and we hope that you will go to wherever you like to listen to podcasts and look for truth of our youth make sure you give us a rating hit the subscribe button find us on facebook suggest topics and things that we can talk about in the future you want to be on the show let us know we'll find some time to fit you thanks preppies welcome back everyone i'm steve this is marty hello again truth of our youth the ultimate zennial podcast thank you guys for tuning in as a reminder if you hear dogs screaming children uh police sirens um ice makers this this the sound of whiskey being poured that is because we are doing this in person um socially distanced kind of um but you know it's uh it's fine it's nice uh, to be nice to be in the stop, same room stop touching me sorry no, and uh, once again, we are talking about Nintendo. Um, we're briefly touching on some of the games. I think a lot of these games will get mm -hmm. uh, more in-depth reviews in the future. But right now, we're just giving an overview of the system, some of the things we remember, and some of the things that drew us in uh, to this aspect of our yeah. games. What created my love of sports games was, you know, and also fighting games, was Blades of Steel. Really? What? Blades of Steel. Yeah, that well, was good. Blades of Shrink. Blades of Steel. Yeah. yeah. That was one of my favorite games of all time. It was interesting. I, as far as I remember, there were no real team names. It was just colors and generic team, na team names. Um, but you could start a fight at any given time by running into a player three times, and it made like a like kind of noise, and then you would drop the mitts, and then it turned into... Uh, uh, turned into a fighting game. It got yeah. out of the sports game, and the funny thing was, whoever lost the fight, they're the one that goes to the penalty box. That's much better. I wish that were actually the rule for hockey. Yeah, and if you lose a fight really bad, like you have to go to the minors for like a month. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a couple of games as far as sports went, uh, for a, a more real experience, I guess you would call it. Um, RBI baseball was probably my biggest. Mm -hmm. Um. The one I got into, it had actual MLB players, but it was severely... Juan Gonzalez and... Oh, no, but it was severely limited on the amount of characters where they could put a name. So, Brett Saberhagen mm -hmm. was in the game, and I think he was just B-S-B-R-N, and you, yeah. just, you just had to figure it but out. But you knew. Yeah, I did. Right. I did know. Um, and Carl Rip. <laughs> it's like, hmm, interesting. Carl Rip J. Yep. Um, but no, they had the the actual players, and so I enjoyed that. But then on the on the more arcadey sports side, um, I got into Super Dodgeball, and that was a lot of fun. Um, Super Dodgeball, you'd you'd run towards the net, you'd jump, you perform different special abilities with the ball. Um, every country had their own team. Um, they all had different abilities. It was, it was really cool. Um, obviously I always played as the United States because, you know, proud to be an American. Sure. But, um, it was always, it always wound up being the United States and Russia in the final. Somehow. And they should have made you, a movie about that. Yeah. But then also 
getting back to the sound stuff, when you'd fly to um, the USSR, as it was known, mm-hmm. um, it would play this Russian-themed, you know, Kremlin-style music uh, that's associated with whatever country you were going to. Um, so that was a, another unique thing they did with sounds to make it more immersive uh, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, briefly, before we get into some more games, I'm sitting here thinking about some of the peripherals that Nintendo had. Oh, and some man. of them were goofy. You had the robot named Rob. Named Rob. I had that. Yeah, I... It was maybe, awful. Maybe I did. You Obviously, you had the zapper. Uh-huh. Um, they had uh, a sewing machine that uh, you could attach to Nintendo. I did not know about that. Yep, they have a sewing machine. Yeah, look that up. That's uh, wildly unnecessary. Power pad? They had the power pad, and also the most clunky and the most awesome thing and disappointing thing yeah. that they ever made was the power glove yeah the the power glove yep. um aka um the vid- the movie the wizard mm-hmm. which was really just an hour and a half commercial for super mario 3 and the power glove do you remember the kid's name no lucas that sounds right lucas he he had uh he had the trench coat and he had the yeah. power glove oh, i love the power glove yeah it's, it's so bad he's got it in like a uh a hard road case. Absolutely. Um, but God, the Wizard is such a good movie. We should. We. I want to do a whole podcast on the Wizard. Well, we'll get to it. You know, we got a we got a lot of stuff to cover. I mean, I don't really see a finite number of things for this. Yeah. Um, but no, the the accessories were crazy. Uh, I did have Rob, uh, and it came with Gyromite. Mm-hmm. And Gyromite is a game where you control a doctor, and there's different colored doors in your way. And all Rob does is take 30 seconds to move a spinning top from one button on a controller to the other. Right. And it's easier just to play the other controller with your fingers. Mm -hmm. Um, So that one was bad. Uh, I never owned a power pad. Uh, One of my buddies did. Mm -hmm. And the power pad uh, came with track and field or something of this nature. And that was fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I always remember the long jump. Everybody be sprinting on the long jump. Right. And then you could literally just hop off the power pad and your guy would go forever. And all you had to do was make sure you landed. Right. So people hop off the power pad. They jump 38 feet and then stick their feet down. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. And then the power glove. I had a power glove. I did not. It was terrible. So if you've ever set up a power glove, it comes with this clunky... um, contraption that goes around your television set um it's you can expand it a little bit you can shrink it a little bit but it's not going on any tv you own today by any stretch and on the this contraption it had three uh sensors that that's what controlled uh the glove used to control your character or whatever you have um but then on the the top of the glove it it had its own control pad so but I always wore the glove on my right hand. I'm left-handed. So mm-hmm. trying to use a control pad with all the buttons with one hand was dumb. Mm-hmm. And then you had to punch in a code for every different game you were supposed to play. Right. And that was obnoxious. And if you lost the code, mm-hmm. it, game over. Right. Um, or you just sat there and you hoped you'd push right, they'd go left because yep. you didn't have the right code. It's all messed up. Yep. Now, I remember um, with uh, with my cousins when... I guess this was early 90s, and we, you know, brought one of them, I think my cousin Bobby it was, brought Nintendo to the beach, and it was nothing but Paperboy and Skate or Die, and we're just jamming old bass seasoning into the buttons and screaming and <laughs> high-fiving, 
and I'm the youngest one, so I didn't get that many turns, but I didn't even care. I'm just sitting there with, and, and I really feel like this is this is what they envisioned. I'm sitting there on vacation with my family, and we had just, you know, gotten back from the beach, and we're eating dinner, and then we're all huddled around the TV playing Nintendo, and that that was that was the idea, and uh, and it was it was a huge part of my childhood. I mean, my my mom, she bought a Nintendo uh, Entertainment System, Super Mario Brothers three. And beat it in like four days. Yeah, Super Mario Three. That was one of the ones that took a really big leap forward graphically. Sure. Um, if you look at what they did in that short time frame, uh, just beefing up graphics on those games, and then they they turned. That was the game that I mean I remember playing nonstop as a child. Sure. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you had the the raccoon suit, and you could drop behind blocks and warp worlds and all that fun stuff. Um, so it was it was a really big game uh, that I recall. So we did touch on Zelda, and now we're talking about sequels. And now we can talk about the dumpster fire that was Zelda 2. Uh, and they totally changed the formula. They turned it into a side-scrolling Mario-type game. Um, it had some broken clues in it. It was extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're fighting these monster-sized things, and you don't even have a sword, really. You have a dagger. And, you know, it's just like the, the original game. If you have full life, you can get a little projectile out of it. But if right. you don't, it's just bad. Right. And they did the same thing with Castlevania. Mm-hmm. They turned Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, mm-hmm. into um, an RPG right. instead of an action game. And they, right. they learned their lesson when they got to Castlevania 3. They brought it back home. Yep. It is funny, though. I knew I knew the limitations of, of the... Nintendo when I was younger, um, even if I didn't understand the the eight bit and graphics per se, but you know you go to uh, I went to you know West Coast Video in Parkville, Maryland, and you see these totally insane video game covers, and you're like, man, this looks like it's going to be pretty awesome. Yeah. And then you get it home, and it's like, it's like, well, I knew this was well, going to happen, but damn it. But that was the thing. You were taking risk back then when you rented a movie. You're like, I don't know. Yep. Um, you, you rented a game, no clue yeah. um, if it was going to be any good or not. I remember yep. renting Back to the Future, the video game. It's mm. awful. Sure. Um, it's nothing like a movie. There's guys walking back and forth just holding a plate glass window. Right. I don't remember that from the films, guys. No. Um, so they, they tended to start taking some liberties, especially with the... Uh, licensed games like your your movie games. They had uh, the Adams Family stuff, like Fester's Quest, yeah. um, another one that's that's pretty tough. Uh, and a lot of the games they did make out of movies were they were usually pretty bad. Well, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, we haven't gotten yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the first one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's I enjoyed it, right? But they they took some liberties there. Sure. Um, they got the colors of the the turtles wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Donatello was super overpowered, mm-hmm. uh, and there were flame guys and random sure. spiders, and they just made up. Well, you know, they did their best. I played yeah. it. You played it. Top Gun was a terrible game. Oh, it's, it's so Oper- hard. Operation Wolf was another one yeah. I played all the time. Um, I think they had a Terminator game. Yeah, they had um, you know, those those shooting games. Uh, your you know, especially your Captain Skyhawk and your Tiger Heli, um, where you're you know flying around collecting Paperboy, technically a sh- uh, shooter game. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. And uh, you know, we did skip a, another major one that doesn't get as much um, notoriety when you come to talking this vintage Nintendo stuff is Metroid. 
Yeah, Metroid, Mega Man. Um, I never, I played them. Heather, my wife Heather, she played Mega Man a lot. Um, I never, I never really did. I'm aware of it. Right. Um, yeah, I'm sure there, there was a hundred of them. It's like Final Fantasy. It's like, you know, Mega Man 32. It's like, okay, I get it. Yeah, no, they, they did, they took that to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were still fun. Sure. Um, and then I'm thinking of some of those other beat-em-ups now, the the Double Dragon, Double Dragon 2. I have a problem with Double Dragon. Wh- which one? Okay. All of them? I w- so Double Dragon, the only time... It, Double Dragon would not allow you to co-op on no. NES. So you're already single Dragon, okay, which is stupid. But in the arcade version, then you could obviously co-op. So it's just that that's one of those things where... You know, they're just throwing things to market, hoping the kids won't notice, but we did, and I was offended. All right. Well, you know, fair enough. I know when you do play two-player Double Dragon on the NES, you, you take turns. Um, That's no fun. Yeah, it's the same with Super Mario Brothers, the first one. And then one of you gets to be Mario Mario, and the other one gets to be Luigi Mario. Yep. That's very unfortunate. And uh, back to my, I know we're probably going to get away from Mario a little bit. We kind of beat that to death, but my favorite character in all the games, Super Mario Brothers 2, I'm Princess. She can fly. Yeah, I was um, more of a Luigi guy because yeah. he had that balance and he had the the leg kick, which I thought was hysterical. Sure. Um, so I enjoyed that. I never played as Mario. I thought he was lame because he was just average he was at just everything. Guy. Well, he yeah, could huck, huck some turnip guys or whatever they were. <laughs> Shy guys. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you could play as Toad as well. And he was at least, he couldn't jump for, you know, what his life was worth, but he was fast. Right. So he was useful sometimes. <clears throat> right. Um, but yeah, Ninja Gaiden is another Double Dragon style one. And here's another example of the quality control issue, folks. In Double Dragon 3, at the beginning, they're talking about Bimmy and Jimmy Lee. Bimmy. 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 He's been Billy all, all the whole time, but now... Well, now he's Bimmy. Yeah, not anymore. Bimmy and Limmy. Well, I think they just... Not that they rushed games to market, but I think they were so excited that they were able to finally crack... The U.S. market in Japan, it spread like wildfire. It was, it's exactly what they needed, what they wanted. And, yep. but cracking the U.S. market with the size of the country and the population density, it's, it's quite a risk. And they failed the first couple times that they, they took it to, you know, they took it to conventions and gaming shows and it never really caught on. They tested it in New York and it finally caught on. And Nintendo was doing some pretty cool marketing strategies where yeah, they really were. Like, we will bring all of the signage to your store. We will bring systems. Tell you what, you don't even need to pay us for a year. And if you sell them, great. And if you don't, then, you know, thanks for trying. Yeah, and that's one of those things I remember going through a Sears when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. and they had the huge World of Nintendo, and it had the neon light-up sign, and it just looked so cool. And I would never buy a video game from Sears but I always went and looked. Right. And that was the other thing. There was no regulated pricing on the games. You know, but games now, they're pretty much 60 bucks. And right. when they were for PlayStation 1, they were like 40 bucks. But you always kind of knew what you were getting into. And But retailers could, you know, price them however they wanted. And I remember the biggest criminal was KB Toys. Right. And you would go somewhere for like an N64 cartridge, and it's 60 bucks at whatever, you know, game store it was, Electronics Boutique or something like this. Right. And then you go, they don't have it, so you're like, all right, well, let's see how much KB's charging for it. Right. It'd be like $75. Right. So, I don't know. They 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 didn't regulate the market very well. Sometimes it worked in your favor. You got like a $20 game instead of a $40 yep, game. Yeah, sure. But. 
And, and another way that they were able to really capture, you know, people's attention was magazine ads back in the day were a huge thing. Yep. Nintendo said, let's go one step further. Nintendo Power Magazine, it was... Oh, I, it was awesome. They created, So what they did is not only did they give you industry insight and uh, future plans for Nintendo, they give you tips and tricks for all the games that you love. So... They help you with the stuff you already are familiar with. They tell you what's upcoming. The covers were always super cool. Then they integrated, you know, the Nintendo Hotline, yeah, which was functional up until 2005. Isn't that crazy? Uh, yeah. Like, what are we? It's what probably are we doing? like it's probably like some dude just sitting in his house, like, yeah, what's up, man? Yep. Yep. Just sitting there playing games. That's his entire life. Oh yeah, that's a pretty sweet job, I guess. Yeah, he, he was probably a Chad, if I had to guess. Chaz, Chaz, yeah, two he, Z's. He hung, he hung in there. Yeah, he hung in there. The, the the top is gone, but the sides and back go on. Yeah, exactly. Um, so no, the, the Nintendo Power was a huge thing when I was a kid. I had a subscription. I didn't get it until the second issue. So I never got the the original one with the claymation Mario front. Right. But the first one I got was for Castlevania. I think it was Castlevania two, and it has him holding a severed Dracula head. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I'm like, wow, that's cool. And now you look back on it, and they're like, oh, they got a lot of heat for that. Yeah. Because it was a little much. <laughs> yeah, well, I think... Um, uh, what, and I, 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 sh I should know this. The the creator of, uh, of Super Mario's, Super Mario Brothers. Um, yeah, exactly. He came up with a game, I believe it was called Devil's World. Yeah. And it had a lot of, like, devil imagery and you know, super evil stuff. It was banned in the United States. They wouldn't let anybody play this game on the NES. It got re-released um, when the Nintendo Wii started having all the vintage games. Yeah. And, and they were still like, no, still not allowed to play it. It's well, like, aren't we over this? Is it fine now? No. We Well, you know, you remember when they started raiding games and then some places would actually card you to, to buy video games yep. uh, for some of that stuff. Yep. Uh, but Nintendo always tried to remain very family oriented sure and they held on to that um throughout the life cycle of all their systems if you remember when they finally released uh, mortal Kombat on genesis and and nintendo nintendo had no blood um they changed fatalities to make them less violent right um and genesis did the same thing but you mm -hmm. also had a blood code sure a b a c a b b and that got you the blood and the regular fatalities because otherwise on Genesis, you couldn't even do a fatality. They just took them out altogether. Right. But they they basically made the entire game and just all you had to do was figure yeah, out. Yeah, well, Nintendo did a good job. They towed the line. They had, you know, towed, they had battle toads. That's how when we first met yep. those jerks. Uh, DuckTales. But then you have Contra and you have the Terminator game. And it was all, it, it, they did a good job of having games for everyone. And also, too, this is when games were primarily marketed towards children. Yep. You know, it was a really nice time in video gaming. I mean, now you have the professional gamers and, and all these, you know, super violent, super intricate, really cool games, too. But it's it's different. And it was all, you know, it was all because of, you know, Nintendo and, and its people. And it was a super important thing to me and to you and, you know, shaped, you know, popular culture in a big way. Yeah, it, it certainly did. I think that um, now, like you said, the games are no longer pick it up, put it down. Right. Uh, and they're not as intuitive as mm -hmm. they were with those. I mean, you picked up the controller and, you know, there's a dir directional pad and four buttons. You can figure it out. Sure. Um, so, no, it, it, it was very simple. 
Uh, it was brought brought to you know a mainstream market in the United States. It took off like gangbusters, and the company just never looked back. They've never taken their foot off the gas. They've always stayed unique throughout this whole you know what do you whatever you want to call a console war. Um, you know they've always taken a different direction with the Wii and the um, and the the Switch. Sure, uh, they're not trying to compete with with Sony. Um, and Microsoft at this point. They're doing their own thing, and it still works. Yeah, sure. Sony and Microsoft, you can tell the evolution of the games and the way the systems look, and it's they, they, they're they going for a, a, an older demographic. Nintendo has always stayed true to their characters, their vibe, their colors. I mean, the Mario Brothers were not supposed to make it past the NES, and now they're still you know some of the most important dudes in the world. And, and the games are always great. Like it, That Nintendo, made by Nintendo, has reached this icon status sure. where anything that Nintendo makes for themselves, it's going to be cartoony. It's going to be kind of childish, but it can be enjoyed by any generation. Yep. Whether it's, you know, one of your sons or my daughter or me or you, mm-hmm. you can still enjoy that game. And the quality, especially now is, is amazing. Yeah, sure. And you can find them used now and they function for the most part, just like they did when you got them. It was a simple machine. It was a well-designed machine. Um, the quality control was great, considering the number of units they were pushing out. And, uh, you know, they don't make them like they used to. And it's no. uh, it's it, it, it's a fun thing for sure. And like Marty said, we're going to get back into some of these games in future podcasts and really really dive into them, but just kind of wanted to explore our favorite games, a little little back history on, on the system and the company, and, I don't know, just uh, have a couple cocktails and uh, have a good time with y'all. Thanks for joining us. This is Truth of Our Youth, the ultimate Zenio podcast. We will talk to you again soon. Later, preppies.